Welcome to Compliance Beat, the podcast for compliance and ethics professionals. We provide practical insights and answer your questions about compliance and ethics. Together, we'll stay up to date on current trends so that your program stays effective. Brought to you by Moorhead Compliance Consulting. Here's your host, Eric Moorhead. Welcome to this special year-end or year-beginning edition of Compliance Beat. This time, I want to talk a little bit about trends in 2017. I think there are many trends that have been talked about, specific risk topic trends over the last year or two, and I'm not really going to focus on those. I'm going to focus on some more overarching trends that I think everybody's going to be paying attention to and that uh, is going to be important to everyone, whether you're in a small organization or a large organization, highly regulated business or, or a business that's not highly regulated, and try to talk about some more universal things that perhaps everyone in compliance and ethics will be concerned about over the coming months and year. I think first and foremost on my mind, and maybe on the mind of many individuals, is that uh, a lot of the discussion over the last at least three or four months during the election season was about deregulation, about moving away from regulation, about the oppressiveness of regulation. And I think that uh, the potential downside that I think some of us see in that sort of talk is the kind of lessening of importance of compliance within the discussions and communication that's going on within inside organizations and from the senior management of organizations. So I think the first area of concern, the first big trend that I'm going to be watching and I'm going to be interested in what other people are seeing is keeping the attention on compliance, keeping a compliance front of mind within organizations and from uh, the top management all the way through organizations. I also feel that there are a couple of different ways that uh, compliance officers and those charged with the oversight of compliance and ethics at organizations can keep these things front of mind in the coming year. One is to point to specific elements that are still out there. We did a podcast just a few weeks ago on the impact of the Yates Memorandum, for example. And what I said in that podcast, and I think is true here when you're talking more generally about the sort of amorphous notion that there might be deregulation, is that at least you're having a conversation about it. And you can point to things like the Yates Memorandum as the definitive stated position of the Department of Justice on what they intend to do around corporate malfeasance. There may be a lot of talk in the media, but that is the specific official statement that you can point to. So I think there are touchstones, if you will, whether it's the Yates Memorandum or the guidance on FCPA that came out from SEC SEC and the Department of Justice just a couple of years ago, or even more recent uh, non-prosecution and deferred prosecution agreements, the language within those settlements that keep uh, coming out day after day, week after week. The Department of Justice is not rolling up and, and uh, stopping their enforcement of whether it's FCPA or other corporate offenses. So I think that you can point to tangible things to sort of counteract this general perception that perhaps there's going to be a big change. Maybe there will be, but there's no definitive proof of that. And all the statements that you can point to show exactly the opposite, in fact. There are other sources of data that you can point to as well that will illuminate uh, facts that are uh, sort of against conventional wisdom, but open up a discussion about compliance, particularly at smaller and medium-sized organizations. I think this is these are the organizations that 
are, are most at risk for maybe not paying as close of attention to what's going on. If you can, for example, show your stakeholders within your organization the actual statistics from the Sentencing Commission, the U.S. Sentencing Commission, about organizations that end up receiving convictions and about the individuals, for example, that end up receiving convictions along with those organizations, what you will find, uh, which is not common knowledge and probably counterintuitive to many of your stakeholders, is that it's smaller organizations that get in trouble. So I think you can also, you know, utilize data that's out there, uh, utilize peer benchmarking data. I've mentioned before, and it's still available online if you Google it, and if you can't find it, uh, let me know and I will provide it to you. The SCCE NYSE survey in late 2014, benchmarking survey, the complete report is available and free. Uh, And it goes through the seven hallmarks of the sentencing guidelines uh, from written standards all the way through monitoring and auditing, oversight of the program, due diligence, Uh, It talks about all of those pieces of the puzzle for a compliance program and benchmarks what organizations, other organizations are doing so you can show data uh, to your internal stakeholders. So it doesn't become an abstract conversation about what might or might not happen. You can show data both from the Sensing Commission and other sources about what other organizations are doing around their compliance program and also uh, what the dangers are. The last thing that I would say on this notion of keeping the focus, keeping attention on compliance in the coming year is to continue to develop and make the business case for a compliance program at your organization. Talk about the collateral benefits that a effective ethics and compliance program brings to an organization about the, the, the and again, there is data out there that uh, supports the notion that a effective program influences a positive ethical culture. And if you have a positive ethical culture, your organization tends to perform better. You tend to attract and retain personnel. It is particularly important to have an ethical business environment for millennials, which are more and more uh, making up a larger proportion of the employee populations of many of our organizations. So I think uh, making the business case why fundamentally compliance and ethics, having a strong program, having a clear path forward for compliance, messaging and communication around compliance and ethics in your organization has corollary business benefits. So it's not just a matter of responding to government regulation or deregulation or any trends that may or may not be happening. It's about responding to the business environment that you find yourself in. That leads me to the second area that I think is going to be a big trend for all organizations over the coming year. And it's become a much bigger issue over the last few years, and it's only growing. And that's reputation and reputation risk which can encompass a lot of different things. One example that's pretty common or becoming more common these days is the repercussions of having a failure that then becomes a social media event, whether it originates in social media or whether it's just becomes, social media becomes a echo chamber for a reputational issue. 15, 20 years ago, Reputational issues were still important to many organizations, but now they're important 
and life or death issues for organizations, particularly smaller organizations, where a little bit of bad press or uh, unwanted light on a particular topic can really make or break uh, an organization. I think uh, focusing on reputation risk and how to respond to issues that become viral these days in, in our social media world is important, that organizations be able to respond uh, dynamically and, and probably more importantly, have planned for this beforehand. Just as in the data security context these days, many organizations have breach response teams. I think you should have a reputation response team, if you will, that has uh, been put together where you have uh, considered how you're going to respond if there's an issue that becomes an external issue with the stakeholders and the public out there around the reputation of your organization. Uh, and that can touch on a specific failure or, or, or a piece of news that may or may not be true about your organization or being just kind of caught in the crossfire uh, these days, uh, particularly in social media. So taking some time to consider the different reputational issues that have come up, the reputational risk that has engulfed organizations over the last three or four years in particular, and uh, thinking a little bit about how that might affect your organization in the future, I think that's it's worth taking some time. And it's, it's a real compliance issue, and it's definitely a trend that is growing. The last uh, issue or trend that I want to talk about, and again, these are not specific risk topics, but overarching issues that I think touch on any organization uh, that has, uh, has to think about compliance and ethics. The last one is really defining what a risk based approach to compliance is. Many of us have heard this topic or this this phrase over the last few years. It can't, comes out of the FCPA guidance and other statements from the Department of Justice that they want to see organizations really taking a risk-based approach, being empirical about how they apply resources for their compliance program moving forward. They want you to think about it. They want you to have a reasoned opinion about why you're doing what you're doing, whether you're whether it's training uh, resources, whether it is resources for particular systems or tools, or conducting due diligence on third parties, whatever it might be, the Department of Justice and the other regulators out there expect you to have a very uh, thoughtful, well-planned roadmap for where you're going with your program. In particular, where I think this is going to develop more specifically is using more of the data that you develop internally in your organization and marshalling that data so that you can better define where your risk areas are. Many of us, myself included, are uh, lawyers or recovering lawyers. We went to law school in many cases because we wanted to avoid statistics and higher math courses in college. That's a little bit of a joke, but not entirely untrue. And coming to the use of data has been a long, arduous process in the compliance field, particularly for those of us that come from a legal background. But we are going to need to embrace it, and we're going to need to embrace it in a really significant way. And I think 2017 might be the year where you really start seeing a dynamic use of not just benchmarking data, which has been around for a while now, and I mentioned already in this podcast looking at uh, benchmarking data for comparison's sake on resource use, but utilizing the data that exists in your organization to determine how effective your training is, for example, a real basic question. Uh, well, how do you, let's just uh, break that particular one down for an example. Well, how do you do that? How do you know 
if your training has been successful? Well, you test it. You go out and you quiz people and ask questions based on the information that you provided to them, not the 10 minutes right after they've taken the course, but sometime in the future, whether that's through a, a survey document or a sampling or a focus group or, or, or whatever, but you gather data on a particular topic to test whether it's working or not. A good place to start, I think, to get a sense of what you can and can't do, can't do around gathering data and what data might already be gathered or be, uh, be in the process of being gathered around the effectiveness of your compliance program is talk to the audit department because really what we're talking about here is auditing. And don't forget, that's one of the seven hallmarks of an effective compliance and ethics program out of the sentencing guidelines. And when we talk about auditing, it's not just making sure that the audit department is doing what they're supposed to be doing, but that you as the responsible person for the compliance program have a handle on auditing the compliance function or uh, utilizing the data that's available to do that. And that's going to be training, that's going to be communication, that's going to be the structure of the program, any tools that are available, uh, due diligence if that's part of your writ. Uh, so gathering data, really testing and making sure you understand what the four corners of your program are, what the data tells you about your risks and what the data tells you about the effectiveness of your program. The expectations around the use of that data are only going to grow in the future. And 2017 might be a watershed year where the expectations, even for smaller organizations, where you, you know, probably don't have as many resources and probably don't have as much data available, but there's still going to be the expectation that you're not just throwing it at the wall to see what will stick and looking at the broad trends that are out there in the marketplace as to what your risks might be, but really honing down and looking at the knowledge base of your employees, for example, to determine whether training is effective and whether they're getting the information they need. So those are kind of three overarching trends. Uh, again, not specific risk topics. We might do a, a separate uh, a podcast about that here in the coming weeks to kind of look into our crystal ball and, and figure out uh, what specific risks uh, are, are going to continue to be or might be emerging. I think there are lots of different opinions about that. And you know that's one of the questions, as many of you or frequent listeners know, that I ask guests sort of what they see as upcoming trends. But what I wanted to do here is just kind of talk about program trends. What what are the expectations going to be? What are things that are going to affect everyone in the future? And I think really, first and foremost, is keeping the focus up because there is this definite feeling in the air that deregulation is coming. And I don't know whether it is or not, but even if it is, it's not going to go away completely. And that just leads to potential pitfalls. So we have to keep the conversation going. We have to keep compliance front of mind. We have to keep um, not only our programs relevant, but the topics relevant. I think that's the biggie. And um, certainly thinking about reputation and thinking about how you evaluate risk and use data uh, are going to be integral uh, to that first piece as well. So that's uh, uh, some broad things that I see happening in 2017. I'm curious how you feel. Uh, if you think I've missed something, uh, please uh, let me know if there's some other broad trends that you'd like to talk about or you'd like us to talk about on the podcast. I don't say this enough. Uh, I'm always interested in what uh, people out there are listening. We have now had a couple of several thousand people download this podcast over the last three months. I'm really grateful for that, uh, by the way. So thank you very much as a year end. Thank you from from me and from everyone else puts together the Compliance Beat podcast. 
but we're looking to make this podcast even more valuable to you in the future. So if you have comments, questions, suggestions, please let us know. And until next time, thanks for listening and have a happy new year. Thanks for listening to Compliance Beat. Check out our website, compliancebeat.com. This podcast is brought to you by Moorhead Compliance Consulting. Be sure to check us out at moorheadconsulting.com.